This this is not like the Da Vinci Code movies where I'm annoyed by their shamelessness. Yeah, yeah. But. The secret wasn't that an albino uh, <laughs> whatever was responsible for impregnating Jesus's mom or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I honestly don't remember the plot of the Dan Brown movies, but yeah. uh, it was something like that. <laughs> I don't think it was that exactly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 509 with our review of Mission Impossible Fallout. I'm Christopher Schneezy. And I'm Stephen Miller. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. This week, we're back. We're talking about the latest in, uh, installment in the Mission Impossible franchise. Um, this is like probably one of the first times that I think that... We watched a movie where we weren't sitting together, but we both saw the exact same format in the exact same theater. Yep. Um, it's exciting. It is exciting. Uh, we both saw it in IMAX. Uh, I do want to ask you a question before we get into it related to our IMAX experience. Mm-hmm. Um, before the film started, I assume they didn't change it within the 24 hours. Are we talking about the trailers? Between. So they, they showed a clip. From First Man? From First Man. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, it, it's a, it's a very it's it's you know I it was funny because I, I was I was talking to Jamie before the film started uh, about um, seeing things in IMAX and how like I used to drive up to the Irvine Theater so that we could see clips of like uh, the Dark Knight Rises or whatever before it was some other movie um, and I was not expecting to see like this clip from the film. Right. It's a very simple clip. It's just the taking off of of the freaking. Not a shuttle, but whatever the hell the spacecraft is called. Sure. <laughs> um, uh, but but it's taking off, and I want to see this movie so bad, and nothing about the clip, other than that fucking IMAX shot of of freaking Neil Armstrong standing on the moon in total silence in full glorious IMAX, the most beautiful spectacular thing I've ever seen. Right. I want to see this movie so bad, and I want to know. If you feel the same way. <laughs> I, I do, though. The first feeling I had when that clip started was maybe I'm not far enough back in the theater <laughs> because the, or, uh, the IMAX screens are incredible, right? Like you, uh, especially the one we have at the Metreon, it, yeah. it's enormous. Like it fills your whole field of view. And most of this clip takes place inside the rocket while things are rattling like crazy. And it's yeah. supposed to be this kind of claustrophobic insanity. And when a rattle is like moving meters on the wall, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you really feel the intensity of what's going on. And it almost felt like too much to bear. But compared to that, yeah, the the silence in that like beautiful IMAX shot on the moon, it, it, it looks badass. It looks like a good movie. And now I know I need to see it in IMAX. I never oh, would have yeah. thought like Damien Chazelle's new movie was a movie I had to see in IMAX. Yeah, yeah it was something that I, I wouldn't, I, I like it was not even like, here's the, here's the thing. I have not even watched the trailer for this film yet. It was just a thing where I was like, oh, I, I know, I mean, I'm, I'm going to see it. And, and it wasn't like I was avoiding the trailer. It's just I just didn't click on it, right? It hasn't yeah. been presented in front of me, and I haven't clicked on it yet. And then saw this beautiful, this beautiful moment. It's just, yeah. the, hey, we're taking off. We're in space. And then it cuts before you're even in space. I, just, I feel like it's it's delivering on the promise that Interstellar made for me. Because I first saw the Interstellar trailer in IMAX 2. Yeah. And it was this idea of, like, a movie that was going to take you up into outer space with the realism of like a massive IMAX camera. And, and this delivers on that. And I didn't, this is not Damien Chazelle's 
like style as far as I know. It, it's kind of out of left field. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm just I'm super excited and also I I am such a sucker for those there should be a reflection of a camera here but there's not because we it's either a fake visor or just whatever that effect is that people do I love it it's a sucker I know it's tricking my brain like my brain knows like oh this is something's wrong I'm watching something that's not real but it makes it feel more real somehow it's just yeah. it's it's a beautiful shot I love it I mean the whole the whole thing was was cool but I'm just very very excited for this film um and now that we've gotten that out of the way, <laughs> I'm excited too. <laughs> Good, uh, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be talking about that whenever that comes out. I don't even know when it's coming out, um, but it's rad. Anyways, Mission Impossible Fallout fell out. Speaking of things that may or may not be rad, mm-hmm. uh, um, Let's we play coy about this. <laughs> <laughs> Our missions, having accepted them already, is to bring you a review of this film. Uh, so we're gonna do that. But as always, we are going to go ahead and play the trailer audio for this, so you can hear this. You can hear the excitement, and then we'll come back and we'll let you know whether it lived up to everything that we hoped it would. There cannot be peace without first a great suffering. The greater the suffering, the greater the peace. The end you've always feared is coming. It's coming. And the blood will be on your hands. I pray to God that it wasn't true. Solomon Lane escaped in Paris. And now the world is at risk. This is the CIA's mission. You use a scalpel. I prefer a hammer. This is a bad idea. Is it ever a good one? Honestly. He's not just some observer. He's an assassin. I don't trust anybody outside of this room. You go rogue, he's been authorized to hunt you down and kill you. That's the job. No hard feelings. Which way, Benji? Turn left! Go, 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 go! What are you waiting for? I'm jumping out a window! Oh, sorry. Good luck. When the clock stops, Ethan Hunt will lose everyone he ever cared about. You don't understand what you're involved in. You need to walk away. Please don't make me go through you. Ethan, that's not who we are. Maybe we need to reconsider that. Ethan, you've lost this one. What's done is done. What's done is done when we say it's done. Showtime. Oh, my God. All right. That was the trailer for Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, this film is the follow-up uh, follow to the last film, uh, which uh, I forget which one the last one was called. Rogue Nation. Rogue Nation. Um, in that last one, we caught this bad guy who was doing some dastardly things. He created a group of people called the Syndicate. Um, we, you know, spoilers to that film, but we catch him. He's locked up. 
Uh, well, there's some problems because there's another <laughs> organization um, called the what was it called? The prophets? No, it's the apostles. The apostles. Um, <laughs> so the apostles, the the new version of the syndicate, they're going around mission doing, impossible. Do... <laughs> nice. <laughs> How long have you been sitting on that one, Stephen? Literally half a second. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, so those guys are there. They're doing some bad things. They're trying to break out the guy who did the bad things before. Um, we have three spheres of plutonium um, that are, have been potentially put inside of crazy bombs that are going to do some bad things about uh, around the world. Um, the bad guy has a plan that, uh, you know, in order for there to be a great peace, there must be a great suffering first. The greater the suffering, the greater the peace. Um, so he's trying to hurt the world in a very, very devastating way. And our crew of people at M- MI- MIF, the mission, IMF, IMF, IMF yeah. I'm, I'm doing great here. Uh, the IMF people, they have to hunt down everybody involved in this and try to get this plutonium before it's used in bombs. And uh, lots of uh, things ensue in this film. Stephen Miller, what did you think of it? I thought this movie was awesome. <laughs> this, <laughs> this movie this movie was so awesome, it retroactively makes me like want to verify what I already suspected, which is that I was smoking crack in my last review of the Mission Impossible franchise. Did um, you not like the last one? I liked it okay. Like The thing is that some Rogue Nation I saw in the... A little bit of local talk here, everybody. I saw this in the Van Ness Theater, <laughs> which is like a pretty shitty movie theater. Which is basically an impossible mission in and of itself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it was a pretty crappy movie theater in uh, San Francisco, and I was kind of like on the edge of the aisle, and I wasn't in a great mood. And there was something about that movie where it took me like half the movie for the action beats to click. With me, I, I wasn't on board, so all of the cool things like Tom Cruise strapped to an airplane, I was just like not <laughs> – in the zone at all for that movie you you mean the opening 30 seconds no no exactly like a lot the movie kind of like a lot of the cool set pieces happened in the beginning and i wasn't on board until later for whatever reason i i don't know i have no justification now because this movie (laughs) this movie is so fucking cool um it is a non-stop chase film where the plot really doesn't matter but the plot kind of matters. You think of the plot matter? I, I, I think some of the genius of this film is is the complexity of the plot. But we'll, 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 I, get, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in, later. In my mind, the the plot is a canvas upon which Tom Cruise and company can just do amazing action set pieces, and this movie just fully, fully delivers on that. It it, it feels very self aware too. Like it it brings in the fun and it brings in the seriousness. But whenever things go too over the top, you can kind of tell that like. Ethan Hunt and everyone involved are also thinking, wow, this shit is getting really over the top right now. (laughs) And and there's just a fun to that. Like, it feels like there's a pact between the IMF and the audience that, like, we are both going to go on this journey together where the stakes are going to get ridiculously high and we're going to pull through in the end. And that's all that matters. Um, Maybe pull through in the end. We don't know. Yeah, you're right. The world (laughs) could be destroyed at the end of this film, Stephen. We don't want to spoil whether or not they save the day. This movie just feels like the... It's a combination of everything that all the other Mission Impossible movies have. Like, we have masks, fun fun with masks in this movie, done to great effect. Like, I called some of them. I did not call all of them in this movie. They, they, <laughs> they really have a blast with that one. Um, amazing real-life set pieces, you know, d- driving through real cities. Like, Tom Cruise doing his motor ch- motorcycle chase through Paris. Amazing. Like, it, it's so much but, fun to so, watch that. So, so here, here's the thing. I mean, it was slight, slight tangent, uh, but related to what you're saying. So 
in these motorcycle motor, motorcycle chase scenes, un, most of the cars, especially when he's going the opposite direction, are CG cars. Sure. And when you look at how he learned to fly a fucking helicopter to do these helicopter chase scenes, like it justifies it in the screen. Because like when you're watching the the, the motorcycle chase scene, you're like, yeah, this is cool. But you're like, but I know that he's not really there. And there's something about being like, this motherfucker is flying this helicopter yeah. right now. This is crazy. Oh, we'll get to the helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. Um, the, like, the fun with location, it's it just – they kind of have a national treasure type vibe, right, where you, <laughs> part of the joy is just going to be to see all of these places on the yeah. big screen and watch Ethan Hunt do cool shit there. Um, I think the characters are really, really well done. I love uh, Sean Harris as Solomon Lane. I think he's such a good villain for this franchise. He just he, – he has this like <laughs> – I, this innate creepiness and he seems to have the courage of his like evil convictions and he he's just the perfect kind of villain for this movie and, and uh when we did the film last time we were comparing it to specter right um, and how like the last film was essentially the exact same plot as specter yeah. and I, I forget which order it was but one was supposed to come I out before specter the came other out right after this one but it, but but it got pushed back, right? There was some thing where it's like they were supposed to come out in one order, and then one got pushed back, and they were, came out in the reverse order. It was like, oh my god, these are the same movies, but Mission Impossible is so much better than James Bond. Yeah, and um, he's better than Christoph Waltz, exactly, that character, yeah, which is insane. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, and it's it's so funny, like because you can hear Solomon Lang going, "It was me, James Bond." <laughs> <laughs> I forget the line now. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? Like, it's it, it just it's just crazy is, how is close he, is he. Ren and Ren and Stimpy. <laughs> That's what he sounds like in that in that movie, though. Uh, it's the something of your pain. I forget what the word is, though. Mm. The greater the greater the pain. Oh, <laughs> here it is, James. The measure of your no. I don't no, know. it's 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 like he's referring to himself as like the creator of your pain, mm-hmm. but I forget the word is. It was all me, James. It's always been me, the author of all your pain. Anyways, yep. unimportant to the story, but they're basically playing a similar character. But in this one, Solomon Lane's fucking badass. Mm-hmm. And he's his like inspector. The character seems smarter than he should have been. Right. Like, remember these last couple of movies, some of which were not very good. Uh, I was working this whole time to do all these things and put things in place. And in this one, there's like it's like a real life Joker, right? Yeah, <laughs> Solomon yeah, yeah. Lane is is basically the Joker, just less crazy, yeah. And but just as evil and just as sneaky and just as ab- uh, uh, able to weave a web of uh, sadness for the people he's trying to take out. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I just really appreciated that character as a foil, I guess, for um, Ethan. Hunt. <laughs> yeah, I mean he he's great. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson is great. I like they introduced her in the last movie, and she she's just a really cool foil to Ethan again. Um, I think Angela Bassett as the C- CIA director. She's like f- filling a role, obviously, of the shadowy bureaucracy head, but she does a good job here. Um, Henry Cavill, like. He- <laughs> I don't know if this is against type. Like, maybe I haven't seen him in enough things to be sure, but I feel like he really nailed... Like, it, it was kind of a joke, like, among the internet that his mustache in this movie was so important that they were willing to, like, ruin Justice League for it. But, like, they're right. His mustache is his very character. important in this yeah, movie. Yeah, it's half yeah. his character. Yeah, yeah. It, it's very important that he has the facial hair in this movie. And I just... It, it isn't only the action set pieces in the sense of, like, insane stunts that they do like the hand-to-hand combat is really well choreographed here it's really well done the there's the bathroom fight that's in the trailer that i think is just 
so cool. Like, it feels very tactile. It really feels like they're throwing each other through mirrors and walls and shit. And <laughs> it's because they were. Yeah. You, yeah. Were they really? I mean, I assume they're, I mean, they, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a, like it's a breakaway mirror. I yeah, okay, sure. I, yeah, I just, I assume that was a, that was a set. Like, you really just feel the force behind all the characters. And it, yeah. It's just fun. It, it's just a fun movie. It's a two-hour, 15-minute chase movie. It knows what it is. It it knows to keep the pace high. And I think a good deal of it comes down to Tom Cruise. Like, say what you will about him, but he's a charismatic fucking action lead. Yeah. And he, like, anchors this movie. He is so up for the task. The blurring of the lines between Tom Cruise and Ethan Hunt is, like, extreme in this movie in terms of like the power of the one character to risk everything for just one person and the heights that one man will go to to save the world like yeah. it feels like a meta commentary on the franchise and like the heights that he would go to to entertain us and it, <laughs> it, it's just fun it's just a fun movie i i had a blast watching it i'm glad i saw it in imax i want to see it again i want to go back and watch all the other mission impossibles just to like make sure i'm still amped for it yeah yep Better than Fast and Furious, I think. I think this is the I mean, best that's, action that's, franchise. That's easy, not that high bar to to try to match. For me, but, it is, Chris. I mean, no, I mean, like I people, longtime listeners of the show, know that I love the last several Fast and Furious films. I just, mm-hmm. I just mean that, like, I think that this is shooting for a higher tier of type of film. Yeah. Also, rock climbing. I'm glad they got rock climbing back in. I, I loved the rock climbing scene in Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> no one likes anything in Mission Impossible 2. I loved the rock climbing scene in that movie. I stand by it because I haven't seen it since I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. All, all I remember of that rock climbing scene is the version for, in front of the MTV Movie Awards where Ben Stiller plays uh, Tom Cruise's uh, stunt double. Yep. Pretty great. So how did you feel about this movie? I, I think this film is fantastic. Um, I mean, it, it's 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 strange too because this film takes away some of the things that I love about um, this franchise, like the gadgets and how they find creative ways to uh, get into and out of various situations. There is, you know, there there's a little bit of heisty stuff that happens in here, right? A little mm-hmm. bit of sneaking and doing things, but it's mostly just the masks. Like, the masks are kind of the only technology used, really. Well, and the um, heist isn't played as a heist because they don't let you peer into the planning phase at all for yeah, these yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. They're just kind of like, oh, this is the thing that we have to do, and now, now we're doing this other thing. But I think that it's it's a film that takes away some of the things that define what a Mission Impossible film is, and the way they make up for that is by having a really engrossing story that, like, you talked about how how uh, um, Tom Cruise as a, a human being <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, grounds this film in a thing that you can grab onto. But I think the story grounds him in this world in a way that I found really, really powerful. Like, I think that we've seen him as being sort of just the character who does everything because he's super awesome. And I think that this film really gives him a reason to do it and gives him stakes outside of just, like... Cause one of the things is like you know the the it, it's sort of a joke at the end of the last film where it ends with him yelling mission accomplished and slapping a big giant red button to stop the nuclear missile from yeah. blowing up wherever the hell it was blowing up or maybe that was the maybe that was a go to call um, <laughs> uh, but who but, you got to call 
but what, what, one of the films, it's, it's sort of like playing on the idea of like, he's doing this so much that it's sort of just him like, yeah, I did it again. Boom. Yeah. It's basically the end of Ninja Warrior, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he runs up and he just smacks the button and <laughs> smoke flies up and then he's done and, and everybody cheers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this film for the first time is like, okay, so we can't just like – it was at one nuclear bomb before, and now it's three nuclear bombs. Whoa. But they find a way to make it really impactful and make every moment of what's going on. It's not just, oh, this is going to blow up and kill some people. It's like th- there's a, a, a lot more stakes behind him um, trying to prove who he is and trying to be the person who can save everybody and actually wanting to save people. And it, it's th- This film does so much for the character and makes every single little beat, every single reveal has a weight that is not just like, oh, you got me. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, shit, <laughs> like, I feel something right now. Um, and I think that the characters get moments that, that make it feel like if they don't ever make another one, it feels like they did well, right? This doesn't feel like, oh, man, why are there not more Mission Impossibles? I mean, obviously, I would feel that way. But it feels... Uh, it, it feels... It feels like a thesis a little bit for the franchise, right? Yeah, it's like, like a summary or like a looking back on what it means to be Ethan Hunt. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I love that it did that. And like as we talked about already, the I think the villain is amazing in this film. I love him more here than I did back then. Yeah. Like he just has this... Like, I keep going back to like he's not... His performance is not like the Joker, but he's a Joker-like character if you can compare it to the Dark Knight. He's just this person who has this goal of like watching the world burn literally quite quite literally and and he's willing to go he's he's not just satisfied with that happening he has to pick this person who is his batman right and personally hurt him in the process of trying like he he doesn't want to be like oh try to stop my dastardly plans it's like no i'm gonna set up a scenario for which you will be upset and try to stop my plan yeah like with it Without explicit spoilers yet, he he does the classic villain thing of, like, he could have ended this so many ways, but because of his desire to haunt Ethan Hunt, yeah. he, like, becomes his own downfall. And that is corny as hell, but, like, this movie sells it. Like, this movie yeah. makes you believe that he would feel that way. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's I, – I just felt, found myself every step of the way being excited and being just, – just feeling, like – emotionally on edge for the characters involved even just like all the side characters right this isn't a film where just ethan hunt is like mortally in danger this is a thing where every single character i mean we had we had a big scene with uh with simon Pegg at the end of the last film mm-hmm. i think i the, yeah, the last yeah, two I, I always get the order of a mix um but like there are emotional moments where it's like he knows that he has to like he, he could potentially be dying and i feel like every character in this film knows that they might die and they all want to do the right thing and they all – I don't know. There's something sort of magical about what's going on. And I think that there was a lot of things in this film that because I'm aware of the tropes of the Mission Impossible franchise, I see these twists coming um, not a mile ahead but at least like a few blocks ahead, right? right? <laughs> and when they happen, I still want to fucking cheer, mm-hmm. not because they got me, but because, yeah, you did it. Yeah. You pulled it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, and it's not even like a slow clap. It's like a fuck, fuck yeah, like flip a table and like cheer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just really, really like this, uh, this film. Um, once again, this solidifies the franchise as being awesome. And uh, yeah, I, I love, what it, love what it did. Even, even 
taking away uh, the gadget porn that I love from from the films. It replaced it with something that was so meaningful that it made me uh, really happy and excited for what I was watching, even though for half this film I had to use the bathroom really, really bad. Mm-hmm. But I was like, there's no way I'm leaving this movie. Like, I will pee in my pants right. before I walk out of this theater. And my version of that is people on either side of me, and not Joanna, someone next to her, <laughs> were, um, <laughs> were using their phone a lot during this movie. And I couldn't bring myself to care that much because, like, the movie was so enthralling. I was like, oh, fuck that guy, but this is amazing. <laughs> Whereas people who know me know that would probably obsess like any movie viewing experience I have yeah. normally. Yeah. It it was just fun. I feel like it like you know how The Rock in every movie The Rock is in, he's catering to the audience and he's kind of like built up this brand of like I will not let the audience down. I will give them yeah. a fun time. It's going to be uplifting. I mean, he wants the audience to smell what he's cooking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I I feel like this is this is the Mission Impossible version of that, where this is a movie that just acknowledged, like, we know exactly what the audience wants. We are going to deliver it to them. We're going to deliver it in, like, heightened ways. We're going to use every dollar of our budget, right? We're going to yeah. just go insane on this movie. And we are going to, like, be aware of why you came to the theater. We're going to wink at that. We're going to have fun with it. And, like, the the final set piece of this movie, the which is... I mean, all of the set pieces are in the trailers. Like, everyone knows the helicopter yeah. scene in particular. Except for, I just, while you were saying that, I remembered, in the trailer, he's flying the helicopter through some trees like he couldn't pull up fast enough. And there's a truck that jackknifes itself so he doesn't slam head on into it. And that is not in this film. Yeah. No, I, I don't remember that. <laughs> but anyway, that whole sequence, like, the final 15 minutes quote, however long it yeah. actually is, um... That I just had the biggest grin on my face because that that is a sequence that is like the stakes are so high. We'll talk about it in spoilers. Yeah, but it is just having fun. It is just commenting on the funness of this franchise. The there is an inevitability to things working out. Like this isn't Infinity War. <laughs> like we know it. We know <laughs> this movie doesn't end with the destruction of mankind or anything like I that. Mean, technically, Solomon Lane's plan was to wipe out a third of the planet. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, he's like a mo- – he's a centrist version of Thanos. <laughs> he's like, he's he the kind ca- we can get behind. He doesn't believe that there are beings on other planets. He's like, just this planet, I just want to fuck it up third. real good. <laughs> um, but there was just something f- – a funness about it. Yeah. The, w- the way it ends, it just feels like Tom Cruise and everyone else in the in the cast are just like smiling because they're like – we just made another one of these movies. Hell yeah. Yeah. And it's just a good time. It, it, it's just like the perfect recipe. Uh, yeah. I, I, I dug this. I'm really glad I saw this in a big theater with good audio too. Yeah. I, I think audio really can fuck up an action movie for me. If I'm seeing it in like a shitty theater where you're detached from the action that's happening. Yeah. And th- this just totally absorbed me. So but speaking of audio, um, uh, my, my only nitpick about this film I assume you've seen the trailer a million times, right? Anybody who has seen the trailer talks about one very specific moment in the trailer, which is Henry Cavill pumping both arms, doing something. I don't know exactly (laughs) what he's doing, but he's like, my arms were flexed too hard. I'm going to put them straight and then pull them back in to fight somebody. Amazing. There's like this sound in the trailer where he just like 
It's like I, I equate it to uh, you brought up Fast and the Furious before in that that scene in Fast and the Furious where the Rock has his arm in a cast and he's like, "Daddy's got to go to work," and he just right, busts yeah. out of the cat. The, the Here cast. comes the Calvary, <laughs> I believe is his line. <laughs> that that's the like in the trailer. It's like Henry Cavill busting out of two casts, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? That's what it feels like. And in the, they pumped up the audio for the trailer because in the movie in IMAX, I was like, "That's it." Like he just – that did not feel the same as every time I watched that trailer in theaters. But if I remember correctly, that scene in the movie has no soundtrack behind it. So would that audio really work with nothing nothing underpinning it? I, I don't know. I, I don't know, man. I, I just know that like there was this moment. There's there's jokes about it. I was, I was looking through photos of the cast um, just as a Google shirt search uh, relating to – whether or not people can tell the difference between certain characters in the film. And uh, there, there's shots of the entire cast laughing while Henry Cavill is standing with his arms up, which means, like, it's in front of, like, the Eiffel Tower at some mm-hmm. f- uh, premiere, probably. Uh, but, like, it, it means that, like, I think Simon Pegg's holding the mic in the photo. So I assume that he was, like... He got him to do it again. Yeah, he was, like, yeah. do the thing from the trailer, because that's what everybody wants is yeah. the... And it's in the movie, they just let me down, and I just don't know. Maybe, maybe the scene was just too intense for it to be amped up to that level. But there was something about that. Also, well, we'll talk about it in spoilers. <laughs> that scene does not play out the way you expect it to play sure. out. But, but okay, speaking, speaking of uh, the Eiffel Tower, one funny thing to me in this movie, like, like all these movies that are having fun with being on location, is that everywhere everyone goes is like the most famous place they yeah, could be. Yeah. Like there, there's an, a covert meeting between Angela Bassett's character and Henry Cavill's character that happens under the fucking Eiffel Tower. <laughs> <laughs> like we don't want to be noticed. Mimi at Champ de Mars wait in line for three hours. <laughs> that nice. made me laugh. <laughs> and I, I guess they land on the Louvre or something. And like I couldn't tell. It looks like they land on the Louvre in the skydiving scene. Anyway, it's fun. I, I had a blast. This this is not like the Da Vinci Code movies where I'm annoyed by their shamelessness. Yeah, yeah. But. The secret wasn't that an albino, uh, <laughs> whatever, was responsible for impregnating Jesus's mom or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I honestly don't remember the plot of the Dan Brown movies, but yeah. uh, it was something like that. <laughs> I don't think it was that exactly. It might as well have been that. Anyways, back to Mission Impossible. Yeah. <laughs> Joseph was cuckolded by an albino. <laughs> right. Vision. Vision plays like an albino guy who whips himself. <laughs> yeah, but he, he didn't give birth to Jesus. No, Jesus took a wife. That was the problem. Yeah, right? Jesus had a wife. <laughs> okay. There's like a descendant of Jesus in the Dan Brown lineage. Yeah. Oh, is it Dan Brown? <laughs> <laughs> is this whole series an autobiography? <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, I think it's safe to say that, all jokes aside, we were both huge fans of this film. Oh, yeah. Um, I know I have some spoilery things that I want to talk about. I don't know if we'll have to do like a full-fledged spoiler section, but we'll treat it as such and we'll do the normal closeout and stuff. Um, before we get to all that stuff, do you have any last things that you want to say about the film? No. No, I don't think so. <laughs> it's, it's just a fun fucking time. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, well, so we are going to get to our verdicts right now. 
Uh, so Stephen Miller, if you want to give this a must-see, a recommend with a caveat, a wait for rental, pass with a caveat, or a must-avoid, what would you give it? Uh, must-see, easily. I think this is a great, great, great action movie. It's a lot of fun. It doesn't have any fluff. And that, like, the message feels very uplifting for today, right? It's about a guy who is so obsessed with doing the right thing that he can't turn life into a numbers game. Like, he has to value one person as much as the whole world. And in an era when, like, a lot of our entertainment is about the opposite, about, like, how shitty we all are and how selfish we are, it's just fun. Like, it's fun to root for a guy to do the right thing. And Tom Cruise is that kind of otherworldly guy who believes he has a higher calling that like whatever you think about his personal life that comes through on screen like he is an otherworldly presence and i think this movie just delivers on it i think that there's just such a fun thing that could only be a mission impossible movie so, yeah yeah, I, yeah I, think... I, I had fun it justifies the not that the franchise needed it but it like independently justifies the whole franchise like i think all of the pieces just come together in such a fun way. If you had to point to one movie to be like, why do we watch Mission Impossible? This is the movie that is like, here, let me paint it out for yeah, you. Like, like, let all, me tell you all the pieces. Everything before it has led to this moment. I, I, I mean, I, I still love the original. I think uh, growing up, in air quotes, um, I think my two favorite uh, espionage thriller type films were the first Mission Impossible and then Ronin. Yeah. Um, and like, those are just so also... Fucking um, one of my favorite chase scenes was in Ronin where he does like to pull the e-brake and turn the opposite, like spin the car the opposite direction you're about to go. Mm -hmm. And that was great in Ronin. Fucking they did it off stairs in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> they just had to top way, it. Way to take it up a notch. That was amazing. Um, but anyways, so so yeah, yeah. so I, I'm I'm a huge fan. This is a must see for me as well. Uh, I love this film. Um, it was an amazing ride. It it didn't change the franchise for me, but it, it it focused me on things that I wasn't necessarily focused on, um, which is great uh, because, like, you know, I, I love the way they took the gadgets and the spy tech and the hacking and all that stuff from the previous films. And in the last couple films, like, really made it a thing where, like, they invented amazing ideas, like that hallway projector thing that, that allows them to sneak into that one building. Like, mm -hmm. those things are amazing. And I love it, but I didn't miss it from this film because it was replaced with these really strong emotional beats, a great plot from a villain, um, a great, uh, like, uh, just the way the villain plays off the hero. Um, I, I just love when it's not just, there's not a villain with a plan and then the hero interrupts that plan because that's the hero's job. It's the hero, the, the villain has a specific plan that involves the hero. Like, they're aware of each other before the hero tries to interrupt that plan. And it just makes it makes that entire interaction more interesting. Um, and I really very much love this film. And I think all of you listening will love it or yeah. have loved it already as well. Um, so yeah, that will bring us to the end of the regular segment of the podcast. We're going to go ahead and close the episode out the normal way. Um, we'll say goodbye. Music will fade up. And then when that's done, we'll be back for this little, little mini spoiler segment. Um, so... Stephen Miller, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that? Uh, they can go to twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com. 
People can find me at ChristopherInRealLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. You can find the podcast over at TheSpoilerWarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. Um, if you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so in Overcast, in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at Twitter.com slash SpoilerWarning or like us at Facebook.com slash TheSpoilerWarning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at TheSpoilerWarning.com or you can use the contact form on our site. Um, we've, we've had this link here in the show notes for every single episode, but we haven't been mentioning it lately. We do have a listener survey in the show notes, um, just if you want to let us know. Uh, you know, just, just a few quick questions about uh, how you listen to the show and how long you've been listening. That gives us an idea of who we're speaking to every week, um, so that would be fun. Um, music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to Mission Impossible Fallout, so hopefully you are enjoying that. And um, yeah, as I said before, that music is going to fade up, and when it fades back down, you better have seen this film already because we're going to spoil some shit. Yeah. All right, so we are back. This is Spoiler Territory. This is the after part of our review for Mission Impossible Fallout. We're going to be talking full-blown spoilers. So uh, should you choose to accept to listen to this episode, you know that uh, if you haven't seen the film yet, your brain will explode in five seconds because spoilers are going to be coming right at you momentarily. Um, so yeah, so I, I think as, as I kind of alluded to earlier in the film... Um, there's a lot of uh, complicated, nested stuff in this story. Right. Ethan Hunt has a direct relationship to Solomon Lane. He captures him in amazing fashion at the end of the last film. Um, Solomon Lane has been being, theoretically being passed around from government to government to stand trial or interrogation or something for the crimes he has committed against the world. Um, and uh, some people <laughs> really, really want to get him out. Yeah. Um, first of all, some some governments want him back right. because they don't want the secrets that are in his head to get out. Um, some other people who are part of his apostles apostle mm-hmm. organization, which is th- the elite version of the syndicate. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, they're they're all former uh, IMF or CIA people yeah. who have gone rogue. Yeah. So the syndicate was like little splinter cells of rogue agents mm-hmm. uh, that were doing dastardly deeds for the leader. Um, uh, and the apostles are like the, the crazy bad versions of those people who are all loyal to Solomon Lane. Mm-hmm. Um, Solomon Lane, at some point before this film starts, recruits one Henry Cavill. I forget his character's name. Walker, I think. Uh, we can just call him Mustache because that's what he is. He is like a bureaucratic mustache man. It's it's funny because he's de- basically playing the Jeremy Renner role, right? Yeah. Where he is the guy who gets assigned to watch over Hunt. He, um, I mean, he's he's a cut individual but he's also a briefcase carrying man who like maybe doesn't look like he's an agent he's mr incredible <laughs> yeah t- turns out he's actually an agent um he's a super man if you will mm-hmm. um and uh he's uh, a person who's assigned there to take care of him um so one of the first big twists of the film which is telegraphed way early on um is, is the thing that i want to bring up because i i i it, it felt very obvious the telegraph that henry cavill was a bad guy um, because he gives what is clearly not the correct phone to his handler yeah. um, during that meeting. Um, 
in the bathroom scene, they fight the guy who they believe is this man, Lark. Um, and in the conflict afterwards, they pull out his phone. Um, Ethan Hunt pulls out the phone, looks at it. It's smashed. The screen's smashed a little bit. But when he first pulls it out, the back of the phone is visible and it has the Huawei logo on it. <laughs> so that stood out to me mm-hmm. as uh, we work on software that runs on a variety of phones around so the world. So now we know who funded part of this movie. <laughs> so we, we, I mean, like we have, we, we've touched Huawei devices before. So like mm-hmm. that stood out as like, hey, look, a Huawei phone that smashed. And later in the film when Henry Cavill is like, here's the phone we pulled off the guy. You should check that for clues. And I'm like, like, that's Alcatel, motherfucker. <laughs> no, no, it, it was also a Huawei device. Uh-huh. But because the Huawei logo stood out to me, I paid more attention to what the phone looked like, mm. and I noticed the shattered screen. So when he holds the phone out and it's not shattered, I'm like, motherfucker, that's a different Huawei so phone. So like, I, I knew it wasn't shattered. Like, I recognized yeah. that. But to me, the movie telegraphed he was bad the moment he had that covert meeting uh, with Angela Bassett's character. Like, but the way he was trying to pin it on Ethan felt like, clearly, you're, like, a bad guy. But I mean, but but... Also, we have watched – this is the third film where people don't trust Ethan and in the end he saves the day. Mm-hmm. So they deal with him as a troubled I, person I but see. nobody so trusts him. is, is he right? bad by CIA standards or is he bad? Or is like... he just untrusting of Ethan? Mm-hmm. And I think that the film does a lot of work to make him understand that he's untrusting of Ethan. Um, and But yeah, I just thought it was funny that like I, I don't know that, that the Huawei logo made me more – pay attention to the phone or not mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was a thing where in my head i was like it was super obvious that he was the bad guy right yeah. no <laughs> um but i but i love <laughs> I, I, I just love that moment where, where where like now i'm watching the film like okay so when is everybody else gonna figure out that this guy's bad mm-hmm. um i don't know I, th- I thought that was i thought it was fun yeah that, that's funny i i felt like his badness was definitely telegraphed in that scene too i mean it yeah it, it, it seemed clear that he was pinning the blame on Ethan in a way that was not commensurate, commensurate with the evidence that he would have had at that point in time. Yeah. Uh, so that that's like at the very least he has some vendetta against Ethan, whether or not he is Lang or whoever that, whatever that character's uh, Lark. name. Lark. Yeah. yeah Which is or funny not because is Lark. the Lark character was a Lark. Um, yeah. Didn't actually exist as a yeah. Anyways. Um, so yeah. I want to I wanna know, uh, sorry not to interrupt you. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. As a person who pays attention to plot and plot matters to you, if you are Angela Bassett's character, what was your plan? What did you want to happen in this when, movie? When I put... Yeah, yeah. When, when you put Henry Cavill there, what did you want to happen? Because apparently the CIA already had the woman who Lark is supposed to be meeting on their side. No, MI6 did. MI6 did? MI6 is the ones that uh, that were that connected them with the CIA, I believe. I thought the CIA already had her. I, I thought in the, like the exposition dump under the Eiffel Tower, she said something like, "Naturally, we wanted Lark to get there, so blah 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 could happen, and she would give us blah blah blah." And it th- that was when the the plot started to derail for me because I, I, I was I, like, I, "I don't understand what people think, what people wanted to happen." Well, okay, so. Well, here, here's question I, I don't for remember, you. What, I don't, what I don't does Solomon remember. Lane want to happen in this movie? I mean, Solomon Lane wants the world to burn. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't write those words. 
uh, apparently, because Henry Cavill says he wrote that manifesto. Or I guess the manifesto is different than the line. Solomon Lane definitely... I, I, it's hard to tell whether Solomon Lane is repeating those lines. Um, there can be no peace without a great suffering. Mm-hmm. The greater the suffering, the greater the peace. Yeah. There, there, there's no... I, I, it's not clear whether he is repeating that back to Hunt to taunt him or whether those were his words that then Henry Cavill wrote out as a manifesto. Um, but I think that... That, but I think that, like, clearly he, he does have that plan, right? He actually wants to cause the world to come together and become a better thing by destroying um, half the world, right? <laughs> like, he's trying to cause uh, uh, such a suffering in the world that the rest of the world can no longer fight, no longer do anything bad. It It's... It's, I mean, it's different than Thanos' plot, because mm-hmm. Thanos' plot is just like, it's fucking overpopulation, so let's just kill half the people in the universe, and then the rest of the resources are free for everybody. Mm-hmm. But Solomon Lane's plan is like, no, it's not about resources. It's about the desire to stop competing on the world stage and try to best the other countries. It's what if a third of the planet was now poisoned from nuclear like blasts and... The, the water supply that fed that third of the world is now completely contaminated. The rest of the world would have to put aside whatever they have going on and try to help those people, and then we'd all become one giant whatever. Um, it, it's a very specific um, kind of plot, but in that plan, the person who has been getting in his way, he has this secondary plan now yeah. where he's like, I want to hurt this man the most that I can hurt an impervious man, <laughs> right? Um, and I think that... That is really interesting. But going going back to your question, I don't know that she has the whole picture at that point in time. But she knows that, like, in the past, she has not trusted his methods um, necessarily. Um, I believe that Alec Baldwin's character has sort of been the guy who's, like, getting his back um, mm-hmm. as, like, his, his methods aren't that great. But we have results. The yeah. IMF is worth having. They're important. We need to keep them. Let's get this going. And she is very much like he has repeatedly dropped nukes into cities. They didn't go off, but he dropped them in there. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's even in the last film, I think it was, they basically have the scene from uh, the, the scene from Avengers uh, or the third Avengers where they're like, remember when you dropped the whole city on top of another city? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they have that scene, right? Where they're like, hey, remember when that nuclear bomb flew into a city and almost exploded everybody? You fucked up. Yeah. Um, and so she already doesn't trust him. And this one mission that he had to recover this plutonium resulted in that plutonium going into the wind and disappearing. And she, I think she trusts Henry Cavill and just thinks that like, hey, Ethan Hunt will get us there. But also you just do the job and don't let Ethan Hunt fuck it up. Um, yeah. I, I just couldn't tell from their dialogue. It sounded like. Her, she had wanted something different from what Ethan had wanted from that encounter. Like, be, because the thing is, Henry Cavill's character, the way he was, like, presenting as the CIA guy was the blunt force hammer approach where he would have, like, beaten uh, beaten the Lark character to a pulp and just, like, forced his way into the situation. Yeah. But the way Angela Bassett describes it is that she is, like, upset that Ethan went instead because they wanted this to go smoothly because she would have given up Solomon Lane for the plutonium. And like it, 
I, I don't know. There was something there where I felt like the the CIA and the IMF were on different levels in terms of what they wanted, and the IMF had like fucked with the CIA's plan, and the CIA couldn't say, "Hey, we're already involved in this." So instead, they just like caused confusion. Yeah, I, I so, didn't understand. So it. I, I forget exactly whether it was the CIA or it was MI6, but somebody had caught the woman whose name the broker woman. Yeah. What's what's her her alias name? Is it just the broker? <laughs> the like something angel. Um, uh, white widow. White, white widow. The white widow. Oh, okay. So the so somebody had caught the white widow, and they exchanged like, "Hey, you do this brokering thing all the time. If you broker these connections that we need to take place, then we will will do that." So MI six wants that meeting to happen because they want Solomon Lane to get broken out. So that they can kill him. CIA wants that meeting to take place so that they can get the the plutonium um, cores slash balls. Um, and it's so it's two different organizations that all need the one person, the broker, who's probably broker to deal with both of them, to be honest, <laughs> um, to do what they're going to do anyway so they can do this. And, and Solomon Lane wants to get both, right? He He wants to have an insider in the CIA so he can get freed without giving up the plutonium which when, i guess is what happened like that's the thing is when he finally is freed so i don't understand what happens like so, how do they have both solomon lane's whole plan is to acquire the nuclear material and pin the stealing of new nuclear material onto ethan hunt so that not only does their plan succeed but ethan hunt is tried as a treasonous person and mm-hmm. probably summarily executed or whatever and it's yeah, it's that's that's like his thing. He's like, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna complete my goal. Ethan Hunt's gonna watch it happen, and then he's going to get tried for being the one who made that happen. Yeah, and that was like sort of the whole enveloping picture. Okay, so here's a question: After the wonderful use of the mask, where Simon <laughs> Pegg is Solomon Lane, yeah, and then Henry Cavill gets thwarted, but then the uh, I I forget the word he the extraction team that Henry Cavill had hired to get them out of there yeah. comes in and thwarts the plan again and there's the chase Ethan Hunt is after Henry Cavill and Henry Cavill could kill him but says I can't because Solomon Lane wants you to be alive yeah how did that contingency plan exist already because Solomon Lane thought Ethan Hunt was going to be like arrested for treason and tried there. But now all of a sudden his plan is that Ethan is alive so that Ethan will be there at the end. Well, yeah. So, so the whole thing is that if he kills Ethan before the bombs go off, then Ethan can't die knowing that he failed to stop the bombs. Mm-hmm. I mean, technically he'd be dying knowing he, w- he was about to fail. But it's yeah. one of those things where like he also he hadn't realized yet that the bombs were in the camp that his ex-wife was in. Sure. So like it it's until that reveal happens, theoretically, if he was in the same tent right there, he could have just shot Ethan on the spot because like he would know that she's here and the bombs are going to go off. Mm-hmm. She was a ghost in the wind, but no, she's actually here and the but bombs the, are here the too. The thing is in the original plan, Ethan wouldn't know that. Like why would Ethan know that she was there if he's like in a jail for treason somewhere? No, no, no. In the end, it has to be like, so the whole point was that not that Ethan would get caught too early to stop the plot, but that he would fail to stop the plot and 
would also be uh pin it would be pinned on him so like imagine you know in 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 the first scene we skipped over the very first twist of the film which is that uh um simon Pegg was playing what's his nuts um in the fake news broadcast yeah sure um, I, I saw that one coming i mean th- that, that, w- that was the example of the well, one that i was saying where it's like you're you know it you know what's happened but still when those but, but walls I, come I didn't down see it at the very beginning when there was first the news broadcast of like all three holy sites had been bombed i was like fuck dude this yeah. movie is going dark and i like it <laughs> but, then, but then when i realized there was a trick i liked it even more like it, no, exactly. it, that, it gave you both right I, I think for me when as soon as they're like we'll get them to read it i was like no fucking way you're gonna read that shit i'm like this is yeah. a trick the the funny thing too is i i just thought they they had wolf blitzer in on it yeah <laughs> like, so I, w- I was like that maybe be easier <laughs> no no exactly <laughs> but i can see how they wouldn't want him to have the knowledge of what was happening. but like the fact like i was like oh cool like the funny thing is because I, I usually i hate in movies when there's a fake news broadcast with like a real news journalist that you recognize and you're like okay yeah you yeah. got to be in the movie cool for you but in this case i was like that's awesome they got like in in universe they got wolf blitzer to mm-hmm. do this fake broadcast and then simon Pegg took off the mask and that part was a surprise like i knew yeah. it was fake but i was still like oh shit it's simon Pegg. yes masks rule the day again yeah um Suck it, Ready Player One. <laughs> Suck it. Um, but yeah, it was that was cool. Um, what was the point I was trying to make? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I was gonna say is like in that plan. Um, so imagine if that scene wasn't fake, and Ethan Hunt really was in there trying to interview the guy who made the bomb and trying to get information off of him, and then right when they get him to unlock the code the FBI storm and arrest Ethan Hunt. So not only have three bombs gone off in three, like very, very important uh, cities around the world, but now Ethan Hunt is arrested and it is all pinned on him. Like that is sort of a microcosm of like what that plan. Right. But it it seems like the more likely route in, unless Solomon Lane is like a saw level, he's like jigsaw and he just has seen everything like years in the future. Right. He's, he's jigsaw Solomon Lane. (laughs) Yeah. Um, <laughs> so unless that happens, there's the moment when Alec Baldwin comes in to arrest Ethan, which is a, is a trick, but it's a trick that like Henry Cavill and presumably Solomon Lane believe in that moment. Um, in that situation, Ethan would have never been there for well, the cashmere scene. He would have never so, been around to know what the ramifications of all his good intentions were. So I don't know that the trick didn't start until after that moment i don't know that alec baldwin i think alec baldwin is willing to extend the benefit of the doubt to ethan hunt but i don't think he's like well this is clearly bullshit um i think that they whip that plan up real fast <laughs> in, in in sure but, but but the point still stands in in walker's mind henry cavill's character this is all going according to plan. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. And yet Ethan is still out there to save the day in Kashmir. But like he just knew Ethan would escape, I guess. He didn't think Ethan would be imprisoned before the Kashmir scene can happen. Like I, I don't understand how the pieces work together. I don't care. I should I should point out to everyone I don't care how the don't, pieces work together. Don't it was take fun. this from me, Stephen. It was fun. I I just couldn't I couldn't follow what all the other characters wanted to be happening in that moment. Yeah. I think 
I mean, I, I think I think the end goal is that Ethan has to see his ex-wife. Um, and then the bombs have to go off. <laughs> that is the the important thing, right? Because they at that point in time, when Henry Cavill gets on the helicopter and flies away, uh Solomon Lane and Henry Cavill don't believe there's a way to stop these bombs. Right. So the goal would be let Ethan live long enough to arrive at the camp just too late and be at the camp with his wife and no escape that can outrun the distance that the blast would be. Um, and just him having to sit there with Solomon Lane. Like maybe there's even like a, a seven type of thing where Solomon Lane <laughs> wants him to like shoot him in the head or something. Are you happy, Carson? I spoiled seven. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Follow up question: When did the plutonium get turned into bombs, and how does Simon Pegg know what the bombs are like? Um, so, I mean, that's the opening scene we're talking about. So, the guy who's strapped to the hospital gurney—he's the guy who built the he bombs. He designed the bombs. Yeah, yeah, but but the bombs are meant to be traded for Solomon Lane, unless they knew that would never happen. I mean, they, they like the plutonium was meant to be traded for Solomon Lane, so presumably the bombs are not already bombs. No, no, no. Remember point. that was the broker's the word she used were that we're trading the the bombs for Solomon Lane, mm-hmm. but you have to break Solomon Lane out. It's like it, it was, yeah. So, so they're already bombs, but they're willing to hand them over if they get Solomon. They Lane. just need the plutonium. So the bomb is separate from the plutonium. They need the plutonium in exchange for Solomon Lane. Then you can put the plutonium in the bombs. Um, but really, Solomon Lane's people, the apostles, um, acquired that shit and then put the bombs together and then boom. So they're already bombs. Like already bombs. There was yeah, never yeah. raw plutonium they were going to hand back for Solomon Lane. They're already ready as bombs. Well, the, those plutonium cores, which were stolen in that state already, um, just need to be put inside as the accelerant, mm-hmm. um, whatever the payload for the bomb. So the bombs are made. All they needed were these little spheres. They had to acquire the spheres. Put Is, them in isn't the bombs. Solomon Lane's plan weird? Like, he's going to die anyway. They could have just blown up Kashmir anytime, but they go through this elaborate way to get him back just so he can die in Kashmir right after that. I mean, he's dying. If he dies, it's succeeding in his goal, right? He's, he's ascending, right? Like, mm-hmm. this, is, this is a crazy person who is achieving his crazy goal, he doesn't want to fucking live in, in, in the world after that, right? right? Like, I'm sure if Thanos could have made himself disappear with a snap, he would mm-hmm. want that to happen as well. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, man. Right. Just saying. So, yeah. <laughs> no further questions. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I I do I do love if I can say one thing that's not it's not really spoilers, but I mean I guess technically you can stick in the spoiler segment. Um, I love I love the emotional head to head that's happening in that helicopter chase where like Henry Cavill is just like, well I did my job, I'm done, cool, I'm succeeding in this crazy plan, mm-hmm. and then like he's annoyed that Ethan Hunt has caught up to him, and like just that. That thing where he's like popping out either side of the helicopter to take like four shots at him and then go to the other side of the helicopter. Or like that that thing when he's like, fuck you. And then he just yeah. reaches behind him and pulls out the gun and he's like, their rapport is awesome. Like, yeah, that's super fun. That chase. Whereas Ethan Hunt is like, I have to do this. Right. And he seems like a crazy, like a 
like a megalomaniac at that point where he's like, I'm going to get it. Don't worry. I'm not going to let you down. I'm not going to let you down. Yeah. yeah. That, 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 uh, that framing is just so much fun. Like he isn't a relatable hero anymore. And he's like a God in that moment. And yeah. you're just enjoying watching this godlike character, like fight eternally to do the right thing. And it, yeah. it, it it's really well done. The, so, so the other thing that I couldn't help but think during that scene was that the dialogue is for Ethan Hunt to be yelling, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, ah, ah, power, I'm on a crash. But this is Tom Cruise in a helicopter by himself, unassisted, flying a helicopter, doing maneuvers right. where, the, where the helicopter wants to crash. Well, and that's what I was thinking. Have you ever, like, had to fake spill something or fake punch someone or fake, like, drop something? Like, have you ever tried to Im- imitate, like doing the wrong thing yeah and you realize oh i can't imitate doing the wrong thing i'm just gonna do the wrong yeah, thing your body will correct yeah like your central nervous system kicks in and goes like hey no no, no i got this i'll fix this yeah that's what tom cruise is doing he it's dangerous enough to like learn to fly that helicopter and have to fly it close to stuff having to do it while acting like you don't know what you're doing yeah that is crazy no that, but like but, but i couldn't uh, not feel that while he was doing it of like you are like making it way harder for yourself because you have to act like you don't know how to control the thing you're holding. But that's not even what I'm saying. What I'm saying is like, you know, when like Evil Knievel wants to jump the Grand Canyon or something, sure. like his wife or a girlfriend or whoever, family members watch on. When any stunt driver is doing something that's crazy and the family is watching on and they kind of can't watch until they hear everybody cheer and then they turn around because they, mm-hmm. they, they don't see it. That's Tom Cruise, right? Like the stunt crew, all they can do is listen to what he's doing in there mm-hmm. and watch probably some sort of video feed. And if something's actually going wrong, like did he have a safe word? Like I don't know. chrysanthemum, chrysanthemum, <laughs> where like he's actually out of control and then he's just going to jump out of the helicopter and open a parachute? Like what what is what? Like he's in there trying to say, "Oh my god, I'm going to die." And it's impossible to know whether, oh, my God, he's going to die or he's just doing the lines that were written for him, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just – I couldn't get that out of my head. Like what if in this scene he really did lose control of the helicopter and just pulled it out at the last second? Like yeah. when it's like, read, read, pull up, pull up, read, read, pull up, pull up. What like, a way to go ah. though. What an amazing like behind the scenes <laughs> yeah. featurette for this- them to have. That the it, for for the the how it should have ended, <laughs> the helicopter actually crashed. They're like, well, I guess we have to let the bombs go off now. Cut to the end of Tropic Thunder, and he's just dancing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Stephen, I think we successfully completed this mission. Yep. Should we take off? Yeah. All right. It. Thank you guys for listening. We will see you next time. A nutless monkey could do your job. Why you all in my ear talking a whole bunch of shit that I ain't trying to hear? Get back, motherfucker, you don't know me like that. Get back, motherfucker, you don't know me like that. Yeet, yeet. Woo, woo. I ain't playing around. Make one bus move, I take it down. Get back, motherfucker, you don't know me like that. Get back.